I'm turning this evening to the Gospel of John, chapter 7, and verse 37. The Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Thou subject is the answer to inner yearnings. Now it's the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. Christ has arrived in the city some halfway through the feast and he's proceeded to the temple and begins to preach. He's now, one presumes, in one of the outer, larger courts of the temple because to give this tremendous statement he makes here, he's obliged to stand. And usually sitting was the position of the teachers of that time. But now he stands in order to be heard in this vast court and beyond. There were thousands present. This is the third great annual feast of the Jews, a pilgrimage feast. It marked the end of the working year. The experts tell us, I'm not quite sure how they know, but that in those days considerably more people attended the Feast of the Tabernacles than even the Feast of the Passover. And there were all kinds of people there, not only those from Judah and uh, from Galilee, but Parthians and Medes, well, you know, the great list in Acts 2, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, and so on, all the dispersed Jews in the lands around, and so many converged for this great pilgrimage feast. Well, it had picked up some theatre because there was one point in the uh, ceremony that they followed, nothing to do with the feast as God gave it to them, but they'd added to it and so on. And what happened was the high priest and a retinue of senior priests would go to the pool of Siloam and fill a golden vessel with water and carry it to the south gate of the temple and pour it out on the ground as some kind of libation. And all the people would cheer. And this was very popular, this minor pantomime among the people. And perhaps that is what is in mind when Christ utters these particular words. No use following the uh, procedures invented by men that won't help you spiritually. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. They're tremendous words. If we could go through the passage just word by word, I don't propose to do that in detail. But if any 
man or woman, thirst. If the trouble is vast numbers of people never thirst spiritually, never ask any questions, are never concerned about the soul and about eternity. Vast numbers of people are content, if that's the right word. I don't think they're really content, but let's use that word. Are content to live in the narrow confines of purely material life. Just for the here and now, for what you can see and touch and possess and experience physically here on earth. And that's all they want. Well, Christ, in the very first chapter of John's Gospel, is the one who lighteth every man and woman that cometh into the world. There is some measure, some sense, in which Christ deals with everyone to give us an instinct that there is more to life than the material, to give us an instinct for eternity and a sense of need of something more, of God, to give us at times a troubled conscience and a need of forgiveness, to give us at times a sense of our emptiness and limitedness and bankruptcy without a hold on God and knowledge of him. And yet for all that, we rush as quickly as we can to human solutions to all our problems. I feel down. I feel wretched, perhaps. I feel that I'm being denied something. And what do I do? I rush to entertainment, recreation, acquisitions, all sorts of remedies to lift my spirits, even substances, rather than turn to God, despite my instincts, despite my vague awareness of his being. I choose to be an atheist and repel him and reject him. If any man or woman thirst, have you ever thirsted? Not physically, but for something more than just this life. If any man thirsts, and here's the great call of Christ. In the last day, that great day, he stood and cried, if any man thirst, let him, just pause there, let him, let her. This is addressed to individuals. There were thousands of them there, but you have to come one by one. You can't come as a group, as a party, as a supposed citizen of a Christian nation or something like that, or a member of a worshipping family. If any man, singular, individual, come, there must be a personal transaction between you and God. If any man thirst, 
That's the key word, to thirst. It's so easy. Everybody understands this. To thirst. To long for. To desire something. To feel a need. To be discontented, if you like. If any man thirst, that's what we're going to be talking about, thirsting. You've seen the inadequacy of life without your creator, without a God. You have a longing in you for something you haven't known. You have little happiness, just comes in bursts and then flies away. You want something solid in life and meaningful. But I'm going to be talking about more than even this. Yes, you have instincts. Strange, strange thing. I was talking a few weeks ago to a lady, and she was an avowed atheist. And she was very militant with it and determined, and she didn't believe. But suddenly she made a confession. This was her confession. She'd had a child. She'd given birth just two or three weeks before. And she said, I didn't understand myself because in that moment I had such an urge to thank God. And yet she was an avowed, convinced atheist. Is that lurking instinct and realization? I just wanted to thank him when I saw that little bundle of life. I couldn't get over it. If any man or woman thirst to know him, the creator of all and the God, there's a sort of dryness of soul comes in when we thirst. We feel a need. Some people it's very serious. They get so down, almost near to suicide. You hear it frequently. People at their wits end. Life had become so barren and empty and they desperately wanted to find. And they'd searched for all sorts of solutions, taken therapy, all manner of things. And come to an end of themselves. But it's not always like that, of course. Just a dryness or an unrest of your inner person, of your soul. If any man thirst, thirsting, thirsting. You wouldn't say to somebody who was thirsty, take some exercise, that'll cure it and make it worse. Eat something. Take food. No, 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 that's not appropriate. There's all sorts of things you wouldn't say. You need excitement. Go and watch something exciting. Get yourself to a film or something like that. Only fluid will do it. Only fluid will answer that thirst. And when it's spiritual thirst, thirst of soul, only reconciliation with God can help.
No retail therapy can lift you up from debt. No psychological therapy can lift you up from debt. No recreation, no entertainment, all the usual diversions, no liquor. Only God can lift you up. It's a dryness of mind. You know, your soul has at least five mysterious components. You have a rational faculty, a mind. But your mind is getting no satisfaction. Nothing will ease the dryness that is within you and the longing, the awareness that you need something. You need your God. You need reconciliation with him. You need more than just the rational and the earthly. You need something to feed the mind, something profound, something solid. Then you've got affections, the heart, the feelings. You've got that faculty. You need the love of God. You need something really profound to move you. Christ who suffered and died for sinners in his great love who can cleanse you and make you new, to have the love of Christ set upon you and all his affection and his guidance and his power. You need something for the mind, something for the heart. Your will is dry. You cannot conquer your worst self, your recurring sins, things of which you're ashamed. Without the blessing and power of God, you need a renewed mind, renewed affections, renewed will, a revival of the conscience. It troubles you less and less now because you're on the run from God, shutting him out. You need to be changed so that that conscience comes to life and is a guide and a strength to you. And above it all, you need your spirit to be enlivened. It's like a dormant, dead thing within you. You've got a soul, you've got a spirit, but it's inactive. You can't pray, you don't pray. It doesn't move you, it doesn't help you. It says nothing, it does nothing. It's asleep. And you need for God to stir it and give it life so that you can pray to him and know him and sense him, and receive blessing from him. You need life in the soul. It's so dry and filled with unrest. Let's break this down just a little. Oh, that you may have a thirst for understanding God. If I, if I knew about him, if I knew, say like Job of old, Oh, that I knew how and where I might find him. If I knew the way to him and his plans, if I can explain things about God, I need understanding. I have a thirst for it. Well, says Christ, if any man thirst, let him come unto me 
and drink. Go to Christ, pray to him. Lord, give me understanding. You'll find it in God's word. You'll find it in reading the Gospels. And if you sincerely pray for understanding, you will, you will understand it. You'll grasp it. You'll see it so clearly. Things that were mysterious before. Come to me, says Christ. Lean on me, apply to me, ask me, and you'll receive it. That's the verse. Let him come unto me and drink. It's so easy to drink. But you need also a thirst for something else, and this is crucial. In your package of thirsts, you need a thirst for cleansing, to be washed, to have your sin and your guilt removed. In the Bible, it's called the remission of sins. And the Greek word translated remission means the lifting off, taking away of guilt and sin. Only Christ can do that. Only he has come into this world and suffered and died in our place, in the place of all who would apply to him, all who would ever be forgiven. He took away the punishment of sin on their behalf. He's purchased the right to forgive all who come to him. And he can take away all your guilt, to have a thirst for cleansing. Oh, that I could be clean of every lie, every act of selfishness, every act or thought of uncleanness, everything which is on the record. If I could be clean and one day stand before God and be blessed by him, if I could be cleansed, then come to him and trust in him and ask him and he freely forgives and takes it away all your guilt you need the thirst for cleansing you need a thirst for life I've already mentioned this new life throughout in mind heart will conscience spirit you need life to be poured into you so that you're no longer spiritually dead, as you're described in the Bible. But your soul is functioning and active, and you can pray and walk. No longer are you under the inevitable dominion of your sin. Life, which begins now and goes on throughout all eternity, Lord, give me life, new life, a new beginning, a new heart, a new nature. Whereas I was mean, I will become generous. Whereas I may have been violent, I will become gentle and sensitive and kind. Whereas I may have been a liar, I will have integrity and be honest and long of course, I'll still be tempted and assailed by sin, but oh, how much better and stronger this will make me. 
to have life. Those are the three key things that I need. Understanding, cleansing, and life. Let me mention some other things, but it's the first three that are absolutely vital. The others come in the package. A thirst for acceptance by God and communion. How can I be accepted by God? One of the great longings and desires of people is to be accepted by each other, to be accepted by the society in which I move. That's the longing of everyone. All to be acknowledged, to be recognized, to be accepted. But to be accepted by God as his child, as one upon whom he may set his love, to be accepted by him, how can that be? Certainly not while I'm full of guilt and sin because he's a just God. Certainly not when I'm far from him and serving with delight this world. Be accepted by him. Come to Christ. Come to him. He clothes you with his righteousness. And in that you stand before God. You pray. He accepts you as his child because you are in Christ. He answers for you. You're under him. You may have a thirst for destiny, for eternity, to know where I'm going, to be secure throughout the everlasting ages. Come to Christ. He's the only one who can take you through death into eternity to be forever with God Never face his judgment upon your past sin. You need him for all these things. Oh, if you thirst for any of these things, but you must thirst for understanding, for cleansing, and for new life. You must thirst for these. May God help you and work in your life. Do you thirst for protection? And provision, only through Christ can we have God's favor in all these things. Do you thirst for love and for happiness? With Christ you receive them. Because there's nothing more wonderful and joyful and enriching and elevating than to know that you're heaven bound. And you're his. He is yours. And you are his. And his joy is poured into you. He tells us that repeatedly. He does all that we may share his joy. Look at these words in verse 38. We must move to conclusion. He that believeth on me. Well, that's a definition of drinking. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. We're glad of the word drink 
because it tells us that coming to Christ in one way is so easy. A little child can drink. A baby can drink. It's so easy to drink. Well, what does it mean? The next verse says, He that believeth. It is to believe in Christ, that he is the eternal Son of God, that he came from glory into this world, that he assumed human flesh and human nature, that he lived a perfect life as the God-man, that he worked those wonderful, wonderful, compassionate miracles, thousands of them, that he taught like no other man ever taught, and then voluntarily he permitted himself to be taken, arrested, nailed to the cross of Calvary. He permitted himself to undergo humiliation and terrible agonies, and worst of all, far, far worse than anything else, to have the Father in heaven veil his face and pour out upon his Son the eternal punishment due to all who would be saved for their sin. And he bore it for us in his immeasurable love. He that believeth that and trusts in Christ and comes and confesses his need and his sin. As the scripture hath said, we were looking at a verse like this this morning. As the scripture hath said, what scripture in the Old Testament says what Christ now says? Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. We don't know of an Old Testament scripture that says that. Oh, there is a verse in Isaiah which fairly closely says something along those lines, but not quite this. So what does it mean? Something we've never found in the Old Testament. Oh, but if you look at it another way, the scripture does say it. In so many different ways, in the Old Testament, in the books of Moses and the prophets, this sentiment is uttered, that the person who comes to God and knows his salvation shall be one who not only drinks from Christ and receives power and life and blessing from him, but that blessing flows from him out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water drink the water of life freely and out of, out of your belly oh it's your inner being our translators have chosen the word belly Perhaps it would be better to think in terms of heart. That's the idea. Out of your innermost being, out of your heart, out of you and your central personality and being, out of your own affections and desire will flow living water, thirst-quenching words for other people 
You'll witness to them. You'll tell them of Christ. You'll be kind to them. You'll be a fountain of wisdom to other people in all their distresses and hardships and difficulties and perplexities. Out of your innermost being, almost automatically, will come not just now and then, but will flow constantly like a river. Living water to quench the thirst of others. Not only words, but deeds of kindness, constructive acts. What a person you'll be by comparison with the old you. That's the promise of Christ. He will so bless you that there will emanate from you blessing for others also. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me in my atoning death on Calvary and my offered up righteousness, as the scripture hath said, so many scriptures in the Old Testament, he can grandly say, as the scripture says, though it isn't a direct quote, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit who is in you from the day of your conversion that you are a blessing to others. That's the message of the passage. Come unto me and drink. Drink, dear friends. It's so easy. All it requires is your utmost sincerity. Repent of your sin. Ask him to give you life and trust him with your soul. Repent, ask, trust. It can be compounded into that simple word, drink, and you find his, the profound change will take place within you. You'll be fundamentally a new and a different person. That's what we call Christian conversion. Come to him. I read the text just to close. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, do you thirst? Let him or her come unto me and drink. Let's pray together. Oh God, our gracious Heavenly Father, help us all, humble us all, draw us to thyself through Christ, the only Saviour. Oh Lord, help us to grasp and to understand these things. And as we go from this place tonight, oh Lord, so overrule that the enemy of souls will not be able to snatch the words of Christ out of our minds and out of our hearts. Deal with us all, we pray, and we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord for his sake.
Amen.